All right. Welcome to this episode of the Afterclothes, the podcast that is designed to try to help um, us learn how to live in the present moment. My present moment practice is extremely important to me. It is probably the most um, important pursuit of my life. Um, however, I am discovering all of the time um, ways to come into the present moment, um, reasons to be in the present moment, times that I don't live in the present moment. Um, I have all sorts of uh, anxieties and concerns and worries and issues and all those sorts of things, just like everyone else. I'm definitely not here to give advice, but I am here to walk with you as we discover these things about living in the present moment, living in modern life. Um, we have so many things that pull at our attention and so many things that serve to distract us. Uh, social media, I'm coming to you via social media in some part um, right now, uh, but social media itself can be, can, can be its own challenge to living in the present moment. Um, now, one thing I would say is that you are always in the present moment. So it's not really a matter of does the present moment exist or does it not. I mean, that I think is probably something that would be a question theoretically about uh, time and the reality of time and are we all just living in a, in a dream or a shared dream? I've heard so many super smart people talk about these things uh, and talk about these uh, realizations and um, try to work their way through uh, modern life uh, and um, some of the age-old wisdom that we've uh, used as human beings, story, um, the importance of story, the importance of mythology, all of these things play huge important roles in everyone's uh, daily lives. And so we're going to start to kind of get into all of those topics. And the goal is to really provide you with a thought-provoking um, tool that you can begin to uncover your own present moment and step into your own present moment time. So the real purpose is going to be for you to maybe ask yourself some questions. Maybe you begin to discover some things about your own journey that matter to you, that are important to you, that give you some anchors. You know, a lot of times I feel um, adrift. You know, there are so many times where you spend a certain amount of your time in very real, pragmatic places. Um, you know, you have to pay the electric bill and take that mortgage application and help that person and, and all make that meeting and all those sorts of things. And so all of that is a certain level of life. And then there's another level of life where I have all of these perceptions about those things, um, my feelings about those things. And so I think that in the After Close podcast, we're going to hopefully contain some nuggets of wisdom and some things that will help you 
um, find out where you live in all of that. And it can be a very daunting task. I've, I've waited to start the podcast and to really get into my present moment podcast um, and get into this uh, because I didn't know if I knew what to say or if I had anything to say. But then every day I would have these realizations that would just keep coming to me and they keep coming to me. So I don't know how the universe is going to, sh to use me for this. I don't know how the universe is going to speak to other people um, through what I have to say and the questions that I have uh, to put out there. We're going to go through this together. We're going to discover some things together. Um, if you have anything to contribute, message me. Um, we'll talk about it on the show uh, or I'll contact you and we'll talk about it. It's the most important thing to me because I've seen how many things in my life have gone wrong, in quotes, and how many things in my life have gone right, in quotes, and in the end, um, you know, so much of it is about how I feel about what's happening, um, and then my feelings also have lied to me at times throughout my life, so, um, you know, I would say just sort of let go of all of your regular uh, framework Step into this space with us on the after close. We're going to have uh, guests that have a lot of really uh, insightful things to share, um, personal stories that people have, have uh, gone through as they've discovered themselves in their present moment practice. And so all of these things become uh, super important to what we're doing. And, um, you know, we're going to just kind of start going through all of those things together. So the first thing I wanted to share is um, the way I answer one specific question. So oftentimes I get asked, um, hey, Shannon, how are you doing? And, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. You'll be walking through the office or you'll be meeting someone or you talk to them on the phone. Hey, how are you doing? My answer is always the same, which is I couldn't possibly be better. Now, obviously, I get a lot of reactions, and, and some, you know, it's funny, a lot of times, I just get people who will smile and say, gosh, well, that's great, you know, um, and, and there have been things throughout, you know, just throughout my adult life where people will answer, if there, you know, if there were, uh, if I were twins, there'd be, I couldn't be better, or, or if there were two of me, or, you know, like, I can't remember even all the little quips and sayings, but basically a lot of people have a, a sort of standard answer but that really is my standard answer which is um, which is I couldn't possibly be better now a lot of times people will say well I could be better um, you know but I contend you really couldn't so this all started about 10 years ago I was in the kitchen at my workplace someone came in there said how are you doing this morning? And I said, well, you know, I couldn't possibly be better. And uh, they said, well, I could be better if I was on the beach with a million dollars. And I said, well, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, um, you're stuck here with me on Robert Rose Drive in Murfreesboro in the kitchen at your workplace. And that is as good as it can get for you right now. <laughs> So we had a little bit of a laugh about that, 
Um, but the observation really is pointing to the idea that your present moment is the only moment that you have and you could not possibly be better. Now, if you don't like the present moment or if you're in the kitchen at work with Shannon and you would rather be on the beach with a million dollars, well then there are steps and actions that you can take to get to that time but then when you get that million dollars and you get to the beach then that is your present moment but you could not possibly be any better than you are right at this present moment so um, my stepson was asking me the other day how I was doing and I said I couldn't possibly be better as hard as that is for me to accept right now <laughs> so it points to the idea also that in the present moment you cannot possibly be any better but that does not mean that every present moment is going to be a joy ride it means that you have to accept every present moment fully and completely so when someone asks you how you're doing the answer really is I could not possibly be better okay so let's talk about what a present moment practice means to you and the reason I think this is a, a really relevant question is you know, in the previous segment, we talked about um, the way I respond to the question, how are you doing today? So I always respond, I could not possibly be better. We talked a little bit about how that statement is always true. Uh, however, you'll get many different responses, uh, many different um, reactions to that. Uh, but in essence, what I really mean by that, and you have to understand too that um, it's a reminder for me. It is a reminder to stay present for me. Um, and so when I respond, I could not possibly be better. It really is true. Now, sometimes that means that I'm currently dealing with some anxiety about the future. Or it may mean that I am grumpy that day. Or I didn't get enough sleep and I don't feel so great. Or whatever it may be. But it doesn't change the fact that right then I could not possibly be better. So it's always a healthy reminder to me that I need to bring myself into the present moment. If I have drifted from the present moment, I need to bring myself to the present moment because right then, at that moment in time, which is the only moment that I've got, I cannot be absent from that moment. And so I struggle with that. I struggle with staying present in the moment. I find myself drifting constantly. So again, part of the reason why I'll say I could not possibly be better is also part of the reason why I want to get into this um, with everyone because these are the things that help keep us present. Um, while I'm talking with you doing a Facebook Live, I can't really be anywhere else. now. That does not necessarily mean that I am actually experiencing and living in the present moment. So the first thing I wanted to do is find out, you know, what is the problem? What is the real problem? And so the very first segment uh, yesterday talked about what is the real problem and 
letting people know I couldn't possibly be better as a way to come into the present moment. And what I mean by what is the real problem, it's the idea that when you really get down to the actual things that are happening in the present moment, the things that you can actually affect, that you can actually change, and you can actually do something about, um, begin to get smaller. Um, so if you really examine your life, I think you'll find that if you have moments of anxiety or moments of separation from the present, and you really ask yourself, what is pulling you away from the present? What is the problem? What is your real problem at that point in time, then those problems begin to shrink. So let's say, for example, you are worried about a test that you have coming up. Let's say you're a student, a university student, or high school student, or you're taking training as a professional adult, whatever the case may be. But let's say you have a test coming. And um, you know, I have uh, a daughter who has struggled with test anxiety, and um, you know, it's always one of those things where um, I felt like the more prepared she was for the test, the less anxiety she would have. Um, however, she did still seem to have some anxiety um, that went beyond what my other children dealt with, and so that's a, a, a particular thing that I've got some experience with. But if you have a test coming, and let's say you've taken a course, some kind of training, they have a, an exam coming, and that exam is coming up in two weeks. So if you're there, you're thinking about that exam, and you begin to get worried about the exam, you begin to get anxiety about the exam, and you begin to feel the pressure of that pending exam, and I know how that feels, um, and you're two weeks away from the test, you're feeling the anxiety, and you have to ask yourself, what is it that you're really, really anxious about? And when you really get into what it is that you're anxious about around that test, then you may find that either you don't have the sorts of problems that you thought you had, or you were not staying present enough to realize what your options really were in that moment. So let's say you have the test coming and you're wrecked with worry and anxiety about the test, then what you're really anxious about, what you're really worried about or upset about or bothered by or giving power to is not the test itself because you're actually not taking the test at that moment. What you really are worried about and concerned about is what you perceive the future result will be of that test. And you're also worrying and concerned that the test is going to turn out terribly. Oh, I'm, I'm going to bomb that test. Or if I fail that test, then this. And typically when you have something like that that you're not sure whether you're going to succeed at or not, and, and I say typically, again, I'm talking you know, from my own personal experience and from those close to me, your experience may be different, but I would tell you that 
one of the things that may be happening is you are worried about a future event that you can't control at that moment in time. So if you're two weeks away from the test, you literally can't take that test right then. You can only take the test when the test is scheduled in two weeks. So if you ask yourself what you're really concerned about, what your real problem is at that point in time, your real problem may be, well, I'm underprepared for the test. So you've got a choice. You can either stay consumed with worry and anxiety about some future event that you really are just making up in your mind what that's going to be like and what the result of that is going to be. Or you can take action. Now, if you take action, then obviously you'll want to be present enough to make sure that you're taking appropriate action. You know, take action is not go hide in my room and worry in anxiety for two weeks about this test um, if you're worried about how the test result is going to come out. If you're worried about how the test result is going to come out, then the only thing that you really can do is with the present moments that you have, between the time you start to worry and the test, is to study. And you prepare for the test. Now, does that guarantee that you're going to pass the test? No. Um, a present moment practice is not a cash register. It is not a fountain of youth. It is not a pass to uh, all sorts of exhilaration every single moment of every single day because everything worked out great. A present moment practice is none of those things. But what a present moment practice will do, I believe, is provide you with the ability to live your human experience on a day-to-day -day basis in the most peaceful and joyful way that you can and create for yourself the life circumstances that are the most pleasing to you, the most advantageous to you on a consistent basis. It does not bend reality. It does not change facts. It allows you to accept the present moment fully and then begin to live your life from that point. So that test that you've got in two weeks that you've made all these um, assumptions about how terrible your life is going to be if you don't pass that test and all those sorts of things, that test is in two weeks. What you can do in the present moment is prepare for the test. So when you start to feel worry, you start to feel anxiety, really try to ask yourself what it is that is your real challenge at that moment in time, which is the only moment that you've got. Okay, so why is it important to be present? Why is a present moment practice important? Um, why does it matter? Um, or does it matter? Um, is it just one of those things that is, again, another way for uh, me and others to make sense of what can be a very confusing human experience? The importance of presence it's, it's interesting. So on the, on the podcast, I want to explore these topics because I'm a lifelong learner of this practice. And it is a practice to try to 
continue to find ways to enter into the present moment and be in the present moment. And it's interesting because I'm leading this discussion and opening it up for people to join me as we go on this journey. Um, but it's also a very interesting thing in that the importance of being present, it, it just can't be overstated. And you hear it from many different places in many different ways from many different people. Hey, you just have to live in the present moment. You know, whether it's um, an, an athlete or in a sports situation or competitive situation, uh, you'll hear, hey, you know, you just have to stay in the present moment. You know, focus on the next play or the next pitch or the next whatever it may be. And that is true. However, it can seem extremely elusive to be able to say, I'm in the present moment, or I was in the present moment, or I tried to get into the present moment. And so I find it so fascinating that the only time my life actually is happening is in the present moment. And for me to recognize that, to understand that, and to still struggle mightily with the elusive nature of the present moment, that's what brings me to this discussion. That's what brings me to this podcast or gathering of like minds and individuals who are trying to figure out um, where to live within all of that. Um, because, it, it, and I guess it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like the diet and exercise industry. You know, for most people, they don't really need to hear again, if you want to lose weight or stay fit or stay trim, then eat a proper diet and eat in moderation and exercise. I mean, you know, the, the diet and exercise industry I'm sure accounts for billions of dollars of revenue every year. And so billions of dollars of revenue are being generated to basically deal with the most simple message, which is eat a good diet and you know, eat, a, eat, a, eat a healthy diet and exercise. Um, and that would solve that issue. That would, that would bring, um, that would bring, um, 99% of people's diets, exercise, physical, their physical house, their physical exercise level, all of those things would come into order um, by just following those two things. Um, you know, however, it proves to be very, very difficult. I think a present moment practice can, in many ways, be uh, very similar. Um, in other words, you know, I don't need to do uh, hours and hours and hours of lives and hours and hours and hours of podcasts and all of those things to just simply say to someone, hey, if you want to have a present moment practice, then live in the present moment. There you go. Go ahead, end recording now. I mean, you know, so it's just not that simple, uh, but it is. <laughs> So that's where uh, all of these things kind of come into play. How can something so simple as, hey, Shannon, live in the present moment. 
the only time your life unfolds is in the present moment. If you are two weeks from now and your life is unfolding, it will be the present moment at that time. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out how to simply understand those basic principles so that you can find ways to access the present moment so that you can find and see the power in being in the present moment and without also going into many different avenues of uh, theoretical discussion that may be hard to put in practice on a daily basis. So for example, there's an idea that all of our life, our human life as we know it, is, is sort of a um, collective agreed upon illusion, uh, meaning it's all illusory, which that's a, a, a topic for another show, how, how much of our human experience is, is an illusion, um, but that we all agree on certain things that help create this collective illusion. And what I think that means is, you know, if all of humanity agrees that when the star that we know as the sun dips below what is the horizon for the viewer that is viewing it at that time, we all agree that that is a sunset. So if we all collectively agree that that's a sunset, then when that is taking place and that happens and the sun dips below the horizon that, you know, my horizon, but of course my sunset's a different time than someone else's sunset. However, everyone's sunsets in the present moment. Um, but the agreed upon illusion of that being what it is, is what makes it what it is. So that when we perceive it, we have collectively agreed that what you just saw is a sunset. Now, I don't want to get lost in the construct of that. Meaning, did we all agree it's the sun? Did we all agree it's the color orange? You know, like all of those things, you can see where it just goes into level after level after level of that idea of an agreed upon illusion. Now, is there truth to it? Probably. Um, to what level the truth exists, that's probably up to each individual to decide as well. And you can go down that rabbit hole, um, but I think you'll begin to lose the point, which the point is that we have these human experiences that are happening, but they are separate from who we are as beings. And so we've all collectively agreed that what we describe is a sunset, but it very easily could be collectively agreed upon that it's something different than that. So where that agreement happens um, is what we have as our life to look at and that we can see, but I don't know that that is truly living in the present moment, even if we agree that it's a collectively agreed upon illusion. So we'll get into that uh, this year. How much of our experience is that agreed upon illusion uh, and how much of it is 
the perception of the person who's viewing the sunset. The thing I think that's the most interesting is if the sun is setting and I'm watching it and we've agreed collectively that that is happening and that that is a sunset, but if you live somewhere else in the world and your sun is not setting in your present moment, then is it still a sunset or is it not? And so those are the sorts of things that really show the separation between you as a spirit and you as a person having a human reaction. So we'll get into that much more, but the question is an interesting one. Is our human experience just an agreed upon collective illusion? So who are you? Really? Who are you? I think that's a question that is worth asking, and I think it's a question that's worth asking often. You know, on the After Close, we talk a lot about answering questions that are relevant questions to ask yourself. For example, who am I? Um, what is the real problem? Um, what are the things that keep me from living in the present moment, which is the only time that matters? All of these questions have real practical applications. And I love to talk to people, and I love to talk about concepts, and I love to talk about ideas, and I love to theorize, and I love to talk about all of those sorts of things. But as many of you, I'm sure, can relate to, you know, you can't just spend your entire life talking about theory and talking about um, possibilities and it goes on and on and on and you know there's uh, there's a real school of thought that says that that activity is no more or no less important than any other activity which I don't disagree with but as a spiritual person having a human experience um, I find myself constantly negotiating that push and pull between things that I like to do in my mind and in my head and in my thoughts and things that need to happen in the real world. I mean, that's probably the most uh, uh, salient reason why the Afterclose exists is to help us, me, you, all of us navigate that daily experience. So. Along those lines, I think it's important to ask yourself important questions and not be afraid to ask a question and not be afraid to put some thought into the answer to that question. So in this case, the question for today is, who are you, really? And so we're going to get deeper into that question, who are you? I think it's a question that really points to uh, the ego or the egoic structure or um, you know, you as a, as a human being versus a spiritual person. Um, it's been said thousands of times in thousands of different ways, but it really gets to the point of who you are inside and who you are on the outside are not the same. So, um, you know, I consider myself to be uh, a Christian. I am a member of the First Presbyterian, Presbyterian Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I've been a 
um, you know, cradle to grave, or will be a cradle to grave uh, Presbyterian in that sense. Um, however, you know, I don't think that being affiliated with a particular organized religion and or having a faith that's rooted in a particular denomination um, and or an affiliation of a particular uh, religion uh, completely, um, I, I don't think that those things either invalidate your ability to have a present moment practice. I think they actually are one and the same. I don't feel like pursuing a present moment practice. And when I ask myself questions like, who am I? I don't feel like I've got to leave behind the identities or the groups that I'm involved with or connected to or the doctrine that I believe in all of those sorts of things because I don't think there's a singular uh, right answer. I think that uh, for myself personally, you'll have to make the choice for yourself personally, but for me personally, I feel like a lot of these things are pointers that are pointing to the same thing and to the same destination. So again, we're going to talk about that and get into some of the detail because I know that people are going to struggle with that. Um, I know that I have struggled with that in the past. I know that um, you know we're in the southern United States and uh, an area considered the Bible Belt uh, by many, but um, I haven't heard that term in a while. But it's the idea that we have some very rigid views around um, church and being churched and what that means and the, the role that that plays in society. And I'm not here to undo any of that. Uh, there is so much wonderful peace, joy, and love to be found uh, in all of those different denominations and, and avenues. So if you wanted to get uh, into the, uh, the doctrine specifically from that standpoint, I'll uh, see if my, my pastor can come on the show and talk about those things. But what I know is I know that as a human being, as a man, um, trying to sail my ship and get through life um, and be present in my life and make an impact in my life, stay true to myself, true to my beliefs, all of those things have me continually questioning. So I think that for me specifically, I don't know that I'll ever have all of those answers. Uh, if you're someone also that is seeking, questioning. Um, now, keep in mind, there's a difference between seeking and questioning and doubting. See, to me, those are really different things. Seeking and questioning does not equal doubting. So, with that, the question to you today is, who are you, really? And I want you to think about this, and I want you to, to go down this mental road and go down, get in a quiet space, and really begin to deconstruct who you are, meaning deconstruct who you have created yourself to be in the world. All of the things that make you, you, Start to take those things apart and start to take those things away until you can get down to the true essence of who you are. Now, it can be a very interesting exercise. 
and it, it, it'll start with what's your profession, what's your family makeup, what's your country of origin, all of those sorts of things. But the purpose of the exercise is to realize that a lot of who you are is man-made constructs or things that have been created as a function of being in the world and living a human experience in the world. But they are not necessarily who you actually are. So I'm going to give you a couple of small examples to start with. And again, we're going to go into this area specifically later in the series. But for now, just start with the basic question of who am I? And then begin to ask yourself, um, starting with characteristics that make you who you are, and start to take those things away to see if and when it changes your answer. So, for example, if I were to say, I'm Shannon Wheeler. I was born in America, so that makes me an American citizen. So, if I were to say, I'm, you know, and I'm, and I'm in mortgage banking as my profession, as my career. So, if I were to start to take those things away from me, from who I've created, I've, I've taken the actions that have put that into the world as a real thing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, as, as important as I think I am, I, I don't think the universe was actually created <laughs> just so that I could uh, be a mortgage banker, right? So, um, so if I start to take those things away, does it change that answer? So if I think about the core of who I am as a person and I think I'm not an American citizen, what if I would have been born or if this body would have been born in Canada? And I would be a Canadian citizen. But it would not change the essence of who I am. It would not change the life force that is within me. It would just mean my citizenship was different. So if I think about my life force, I think about my spirit, I think about who I am and the fact that I am co-creating with the universe this experience then if I was no longer a mortgage banker, but I were an electrician, would that really change the core of who I am? So go through that exercise. Ask yourself who you are, and then start addressing and asking yourself all of the ways that you show up in the world and all of the things that make you you. Start taking those things away and see if that changes your answer. If you get to one that changes your answer, please let me know. It's an interesting exercise, and I think that when you finish the exercise, you'll come to the conclusion that you can take away all of the things of this world that make you you, and it will not change you one single bit. Won't you be my neighbor? Neighbor. Neighbor and neighborhood and neighbors um, seem to all sort of continue to define themselves a little bit differently. So I wanted to talk this morning about neighbors and neighborhoods and how we define what your neighborhood is 
why we define what your neighborhood is. Now, I have to admit, I've not done a very good job of getting to know my neighbors. So when you talk about neighbors, most people would agree that when someone says, I'd like to get to meet my neighbors, they're referring to the people that live nearest to them in their neighborhood. That's a pretty standard sort of thing. So the actual Oxford Dictionary definition of a neighbor is a person living near or next door to the speaker referred to. Um, you could also refer to something close to another object. For example, uh, the building neighbors the post office. And so it's this proximity conversation, which is when you talk about neighbors, neighborhood, it's a proximity uh, conversation. So the thing that I think is interesting is proximity in the modern world, in today's world, can be different things to different people. So for example, let's say you have an online community that is a neighborhood in and of itself. You are, lo uh, you are brought together by proximity. You live in a digital neighborhood versus a physical neighborhood, but you're neighbors nonetheless. And so uh, I'm not someone who has been uh, drenched in uh, digital uh, life. Um, I do some things with social media. I stay in touch with people through social media, um, but I'm not really immersed in the digital life as a lot of people are or some people are. But I'm just struck by the fact that we are still neighbors and what does that really mean? Now, the reason this conversation point came to me as something for us to discuss is a conversation I was a part of um, at lunch uh, the other day. And the conversation got around to the idea of someone attacking the country and or some natural disaster. So that part's not really relevant as much as it was the idea that the conversation came around to the situation where there has been some type of calamitous event that has basically put everyone into survival mode. So here's what I found interesting. As we went around the table, there were several comments from people who described what they would do in the event of such a calamity. So, for example, one person postulated that if we were attacked by a foreign power or a foreign country and uh, everything was thrown into the dark, systems taken down, grid knocked out, um, I think the comment was it would only take about 10 days for everything to completely devolve uh, into barbarism. And, you know, I, I'm not really here to even talk about whether that is or is not correct or how long it would take or how that would be. That was followed by comments from individuals who were talking about the idea of, hey, 
I've got some armament. I have, you know, I, I don't have just, uh, you know, tons and tons and tons of guns and thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds of ammunition. However, I do have some things to protect myself. I do have some things to make sure that uh, we would be able to survive longer. And some of the comments that bubbled up were things along the lines of, you're not going to get past the end of my driveway before I take you out because I will do anything and everything I can to protect my loved ones. And I believe everybody at the table, uh, you know, roundly agreed with that sentiment. I, I don't think I'm really any different. Um, even though I seek um, enlightenment through my present moment practice and I'm seeking enlightenment through my present moment practice in communion and in union with all of you, um, I still uh, you know, don't consider myself there. <laughs> I don't know that there is any there. But I know for me it is a process, it's an evolution, and I'm constantly coming into contact with things that make me wonder where I'm at with, um, with my present moment practice. And this was one of those moments, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. So when the conversation turned to what actions I would take or what actions a person would take in event of natural disaster or outside attack from the country, and they very quickly got to the idea that within a short amount of time it would be a matter of me having to defend myself against and or murder my neighbor and or um, commit really atrocious acts in the um, throes of survival. So I understand all of that. Um, and, you know, I don't think that you can just erase that part of humanity. If you're in a situation where the absolute worst thing has happened and it comes down to I either have to continue to eat another day and or kill my neighbor or kill my neighbor so I can eat another day. Um, what I think is interesting about all this is it just dawned on me as I was sitting there thinking to myself, Okay, so if I'm in my neighborhood with my neighbors and there was a terrible attack from outside that shut the grid down and, and created panic and, or, or put us in that survival situation, then I'm thinking to myself, so we've been attacked from outside um, and those people that attacked us, they also are our neighbors. Um, they're not your neighbors that live in your neighborhood, but they are our neighbors in this world. And so whatever events led to them taking that action, I find myself in that situation. Then I'm thinking to myself, so what can I do now in the present moment to be as prepared for those sorts of situations as possible? And if I say to myself, the first thing I need to do is get as much armament as I can, then I think I've already given myself over to the idea that not only do I have to deal with the natural disaster that knocked out the power 
or the attack from a foreign country that's collectively decided that that's what they need to do. My clock is now ticking because I only have a certain number of days before my next nearest enemy becomes the neighbor, like my neighbor. So it just occurred to me that while you do have to be prepared, while you do have to make arrangements in the case of no electricity, those types of things, not to downplay that, that's a very real thing. If Kroger were to close, that would cause a lot of problems uh, and a lot of challenges in the short term for people. However, probably the thing I can do now in the present moment is work on the relationship to my neighbor now. Because if they are my neighbor and we are of the same beginning and we are of the same deep well, if we are brothers and sisters in God's eyes, if we are all one, then working on that relationship now seems to me to be the thing that will be the most useful in the event that some otherworldly calamitous event were to take place. So, for example, if I know my neighbor, if I've not othered my neighbor, if I've not put my neighbor in a box that I can then do whatever I want to with, if I really truly have a relationship with my neighbor and I can see my neighbor and I use that neighbor term to include all of the people that you have relation with, then that to me seems like the thing I need to be spending my time on now. So that if there's something that happens to us all collectively, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is how can I help my neighbor and how can my neighbor help me, not how can I guard myself against this neighbor who is now my number one enemy. So the idea was that a foreign power could knock out our power grid, give us about 10 days, we would turn on each other and devolve into nothingness and they could just walk in and take over the country. So to me, I was struck with the idea that the one thing that would prevent such a scenario would be if we were able to see our neighbors as ourselves and vice versa. So. If you want to guard against or prepare for these types of things, I would say along with getting some flashlights and along with getting some um, foodstuffs that you can have for a little while on some fresh water, all those sorts of things, I would say spending some time preparing your heart with your neighbor is probably going to turn out to be your biggest asset 